I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi there, this is James from the Stock Club podcast. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know about an exclusive offer we're running here at My Wall Street for listeners of the Stock Club podcast. For a limited time only, brand new users of the My Wall Street app can get an extended 30-day free trial, four times longer than our standard trial. That means that you can access our full list of more than 100 stock picks, our stock of the month selections that have smashed the market's returns, and all of the rest of our investing content for free for 30 days. To avail of this offer, simply download the My Wall Street app using the link in the notes for today's show. Don't miss this great opportunity to get a head start in your investing life. Hi there and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast, coming to you from the top floor of My Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. I'm James and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor Emmett Savage and our head analyst Rory Caron. Today we're talking about why WeWork postponed its IPO, the big news from Apple's latest event and why some people choose to invest in gold. So guys, a few episodes ago we talked about a company called WeWork. And we how many episodes ago was it? Was it, it was, only one? It was last two. episode. No, it wasn't, it was two. Last episode oh, right. we talked about Peladon. Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay, because it seems like so much has happened yeah. since that chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quite, like, quite a lot has happened. We could talk, I think we could talk for the whole show about the things that have happened since that last chat. It's like never-ending story. Well, maybe not the whole show, but I'd we'll say there's, I'd say there's breaking news about this company right now as we were recording. I'd be yeah. shocked it's if there's... the new Tesla is. for us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we had a good run on Tesla every month, didn't we? It's worse than Tesla. Elon yeah. Musk like is really every, fighting down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, Emmett, you said uh, earlier this week that you thought it was because of that episode of uh, that's the reason for what has happened to WeWork in the last few weeks. I mean, we can't ignore the might of our word here. <laughs> our, our massive and influential it, listener. It, it, yeah, I felt a bit bad. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but certainly when I saw that the, the IPO was caving in, yeah, uh, part of me was proud and part of me was a little bit remorseful. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, WeWork has postponed their IPO until at least next month, they've said. Um, Rory, what what's going on? Well, just to track back, so on the, the highlights of things that have happened. So yeah. we can't talk about everything that's happened because that would be crazy. So uh, CEO Adam Newman has since returned the $5.9 million that the company paid him for the use of the word we. Mm. It was a good first step. <laughs> uh, that, did, that didn't really assuage anyone. Then they, they've done a real kind of, or they've done somewhat of a restructure of their corporate government. So they're adding an independent director. They're, they're cutting his kind of super shares in half. Uh, Adam Newman's super shares in half and they've taken away this part of the clause that said that his wife was basically in charge of the company should he die or be um, uh, incapable of running yeah. the business. So these are just a kind of few of the things that they've tried to do to get this thing, this whole thing back on the road and it just doesn't seem, none of this seems to yeah. have been working at all. Now, there was last week rumours that they were planning on cutting the valuation from 47 to somewhere around, 47 billion to somewhere around 20 billion yeah so at least half cut now they're thinking about even lower than that people are talking about somewhere in the 10 to 15 billion park and 
even reports coming out that SoftBank are asking them to shelve the entire thing altogether. So it's just, I mean, it's a crash and burn scenario like I haven't seen in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting SoftBank coming out because they were, SoftBank were their biggest backers. Yeah, so it's the, there is a, a slight difference between SoftBank and what's called the Vision Fund, which was a, is a technology um, fund set up by uh, SoftBank and, and kind of sold a lot around the world by SoftBank. Um, so yes, w- between between the Vision Fund and uh, SoftBank, where by far their biggest uh, shareholders, and at the moment SoftBank's trying to set up a second Vision Fund. So this scenario is not helping with that. <laughs> yeah, we, that's people are looking at this and going, well, what were you guys thinking? They also invested in Uber, which of course hasn't done well since the IPO. Yeah. They've also invested in, uh, I believe they've invested in Lyft as well, which again hasn't done well in the IPO. So, you know, just a lot of things going on with, with that fund and and whether people are feeling like the whole thing was just kind of blatantly overvalued and out of step with reality. Yeah. Um, there's also just an awful lot of stuff coming out about Adam Newman himself. He's mm. kind of become the, the, the toast of the profile pages on nearly every financial magazine and you know, there was a piece out today, I haven't got through yet, but in, in the financial or the Wall Street Journal uh, with a quote from uh, Dick Costello, which is was was good. Dick Costello's former uh, CEO of Twitter said the, the degree of self-dealing in the S1 is so egregious. <laughs> and it comes at a time when you've got regulators and politicians and folks across the country looking out at Silicon Valley and wondering if there's an appropriate level of self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> that, that word self-awareness seems to creep up a lot with yeah. um, Adam Newman. And I don't know, I can't really decide whether I kind of like him or hate him. He, I, You really don't know whether he's kind of totally joking about this stuff or yeah. whether it's like you know there's these stories about how he wants to that profile mentioned that he mentioned that he wants to you know be the first human to live forever uh, he wants to no, be I didn't president know that. he wants to be president of the world uh, prime minister of Israel yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wants to end world hunger he's ambitious anyway he's yeah. definitely he ambitious <laughs> and there was this even there was a piece in the um, what was it it was a New York magazine it was a big, long piece talking about tech company CEOs and kind of political ambitions. And this this one quote, big, long read, I haven't got through the whole thing, but uh, this one quote was very good. Uh, so apparently he recently talked with a political pro about the feasibility of changing the laws so people not born in the US could run for president. He was told that would be quite an undertaking and that it was unrealistic. It would require a change to the Constitution. Newman was then asked if he might consider running for governor or mayor in New York. According to someone familiar with the conversation, he replied, once you've reached my level of success, only president will do. Now, in, an, <laughs> in, in parentheses, they do follow up a person close to Newman says he was kidding about the requirements for running for office and denied that he said that line. Okay. So I'll have to add that in just for, yeah. uh, just for fairness. But yeah, I, it, it's, is he taking this all as a joke or is this guy... Uh, he sounds a bit like Kanye West. <laughs> Scott Galloway, you know, Professor Scott Galloway, favourite of ours, uh, said that the cult of personality is the most dangerous uh, indicator for retail investors. And, you know, so he has absolutely got the cult of personality, as do so many other CEOs we've spoken about. Yeah, here. and it's it's a fine balance because one of the things we often look for here at My Wall Street is you know a founding CEO, passionate CEO. Yeah, but <laughs> where where is the line? Yes, I know. You know what defines personality, and it's almost uh, I don't know, Rory. What what do you want? What defines personality? I mean, I don't know. This is one of those questions where, like, yeah, you know, there's all, obviously like you know the great geniuses of history have all been a little mad. You yeah, know, they like have. A little, yeah. like 
out there and they're mm-hmm. thinking about things. So, yeah. you, you know, do you give him kind of credit for that or is... Or, yeah. or did he learn that crazy equals genius and therefore decided <laughs> that he was going to do crazy? I mean, like... He's obviously been very successful personally, so yeah. it's it's something's working for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I wouldn't be buying the the no. IPO, but it mightn't even be available. It might not even be available. Because funny fact, actually, they have a. So if they don't get the IPO out before the end of this year, they lose a six billion dollar line of credit. So that with the three billion dollar they were planning on making in the IPO would be nine billion dollars of money that they thought they were going to have. Rock hard that place. They're not going to have. Other. Well, yeah. well, that kind of brings me on to the next question I wanted to ask. Um, so where do you guys think the company is going to go from here? So after such kind of a big public catastrophe, I, I suppose, or a definitely a public embarrassment, what, what now for the Wii company and WeWork? I mean, look, it really depends. A lot, of things, a lot of it depends on kind of how SoftBank and the Vision Fund handle this, I think, because like the whole business model is propped up on this idea that they have to grow fast. They yeah. have to keep going. If they stop they're in real trouble. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if if they don't get serious money pumped into them from somewhere, I, and I don't think the IPO is where it's going to happen, mm. th- this could end up being a real disaster. Wow. And working on their margins as well. I mean, they're on thin margins for businesses in the most lurious locations with the most beautiful furniture and whatever it is. Mm. And uh, they seem to have really, uh, they're going as thin to the margin line as possible in order to attract startups. And, and that in its own right means that your customers, no matter how much you talk about how tech enabled your business is, yeah. like the buyer sees it as a landlord. Now, the storyboard, and the the S one filings and so on might say otherwise, but really, you know, it's it's an office. The nuts um, and bolts of it are. Well, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Uh, it's an office with with, with some pretty good Wi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> now, I well, CB Insights wrote a very interesting paper, and they were. Um, of the mind that it is absolutely a tech company that happens to have bricks and mortar. And yeah. um, they kind of went in and wrote in behind the, the, the IPO filings and what it was saying. And it was quite interesting. I mean, they just reinforced what was there, but that really that uh, WeWork is all about um, using tech to maximise the impact, if you like, on their bottom line. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we did talk about it last time we met, when we were talking about them originally with the S1. They they get more butts on seats than any other real estate company out there. So yeah. there, there is, they're obviously doing something right. Yeah. It's yeah. just, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure if this buy long, sell short this is true. strategy is going to yeah. pan out for them without the kind of growth that they are envisaging. And that podcast I listened this morning with uh, Scott Galloway, he was saying that people turned up at this core competence called math and realised it's a waste of time. Yeah. And that's a direct quote. <laughs> So uh, I'm sure we're talking about WeWork again in the not so distant future. Moving on to a company whose bottom line, I don't think this podcast is going to affect too much, uh, Apple. Um, So Apple recently had their By Innovation Only event. I think we should talk about that first. Have you ever heard of a more pretentious name for an event, By Innovation Only? It's just inviting like the the Twitter trolls because like for years we've been talking about how Apple haven't really been innovating much yeah. and like the, everything's just an upgrade or a, or a new version of the same product and Well going back to your point about self-awareness do, do <laughs> Apple have a or does Tim Cook have a fundamental lack of self-awareness as well? Well there I there was an element of innovation in that event yeah. I thought Yeah uh, but it well, wasn't the, I probably wasn't the kind that gets people incredibly excited yeah well so at the event on the hardware side which is you know traditionally what people were looking for at these Apple events new hardware releases we saw a new iPad um, an updated Apple Watch and three new iPhones unveiled 
Um, but I think the bigger news for us and what we've been talking about re- more recently is app, the services side of Apple's business. And um, what were the services updates? Can I just, just before we get on to the services, yeah. can I just pull you back a tiny bit there? And the names. Talk about the, uh, no, I was going to talk <laughs> about the names. Um, I was going to talk about the watch. Okay. So, you know, I don't like the watch. Never have. But the big update they did on the watch or the big upgrade I saw from the watch was that now it's always on. So the display is always somewhat on. And I was like, really? That's your upgrade? But I've read a couple of reviews on the Apple Watch now and everyone loves it. Apparently it was like the missing (laughs) thing. It was the one thing that drove Apple Watch users crazy was that they couldn't actually tell the time because they had to keep clicking their watch or bringing it up like that. They could never glance and see what time it was. And apparently this is like they are delighted with this. This is like what has been they've been asking for. Yeah. Innovation. It just reminds me of years <laughs> Innovation and years. is the word you're looking totally. for. Totally. Years and years ago, Nokia, uh, who were once, as we all know, kings of the handset market, said, we have a new phone and it has a clock on it. And I remember thinking, please, you're kidding. It has a clock and this was a great unveil. And I think this is the equivalent. Our watch face now shows the time 24-7. It's like, isn't that what watches always did? Yeah, but isn't that, I mean, it's a very Apple upgrade. It's like one of those things, it's like, yeah, like something everyone's asked for that they don't even know that they've been asking for (laughs) and we're just going to do it now. If anyone from Apple is listening, can you make it a close all tabs button? Please. That's the, that is the one thing I'm, that is, do you know the way, like if you want to save battery, you have to go and, yeah, Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just one button, just close them all. That's actually, hold on, you shouldn't have said that on the podcast. That's a great (laughs) idea. Anyway. So anyway, on to the services, Rory. What were the big services updates? Yeah, so I mean, like we heard a lot more about the services that were unveiled at the previous event, which again, I was... In March, I think. It was in March, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, which was, I thought, just a glorified press release. The one that I was most interested in, because I think it's the most interesting space at the moment, is the Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we got a few more details on that. It's going to cost four ninety nine a month, uh, which would make it the cheapest of the major streaming services. Yeah, by far, I'm sure. But actually, you're only going to get... There's no. There's only going to be nine original shows and there's no third-party shows at launch. So on a, on a content-to-price ratio, it's probably the most expensive streaming service. Okay. <laughs> like, if it's only nine... Like yeah, you're, so you're paying, you're paying $5 five dollars a month yeah, for nine shows. For nine shows. Okay. Uh, but they did have a trick up their sleeve here, which is that if anyone who buys an Apple device, uh, uh, iPhone or iPad or Mac or Apple TV box mm. will get the service for free for a year. Okay. So and what about existing users? No. That's, no. Okay. You have, to, you have to buy a new product, which I think is a genius move because they're planning on selling, it's predicted they're going to sell 70 million iPhones this Christmas. Wow. So you've instantly got 70 million subscribers to your service. Now nice. they don't, they're not paying for it. Yeah. yeah. But in about a year's time, there might be some yeah. hot show that no one is going to want to miss. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So that's uh, that was kind of the big, their their the biggest kind of news part of the mm. services release. And what I think it's kind of signaling is that Apple are really going down. They've they've seen the value in, in companies like Roku. They're going to try and create their own kind of ad supported streaming channel. Yeah. I think, and potentially, you know, you might, you could possibly see Apple with Apple News and Apple Music and Apple TV Plus and the gaming um, service that they have coming out. And, you know, instead of buying a phone or buying an iPad, you just rent everything from Apple. You know, every yeah, so they already yeah. do a rental phone system in the U.S. where it upgrades every 
every time a new phone comes out. Yeah. So you could just end up having a monthly bill for everything. Exactly. Everything Apple. And I think any hardware manufacturer out there that's not thinking about services really has to start to do so or they're possibly on the slow path to death. Like even Porsche, the premium hardware manufacturer, if you like, of the world, or one of the premium hardware manufacturers that just launched, or sorry, just announced a, a new service where you pay a monthly fee uh, and you pick from day to day from 22 models. Uh, that will be delivered to your door and it's it's a premium wow, from service. day to day? You can, you, can <laughs> if, uh, you can any day, you can get a new Porsche to your front door. You're joking. Yes, that if 22 models, it's it's 500 bucks to sign up. It's something like three grand a month. Yeah, it's three grand okay. a month. The accelerate <laughs> package, the Accelerate package, three grand a month, and you get to choose from their Primo vehicles. So whether it's a Porsche 911 or Carrera or Panamera or whatever the latest Porsche car is, but it's a subscribe service. And you don't own a Porsche, you pay them 3K a month. And I was thinking when I heard this piece of news I read it during the week, I thought, isn't this just the way of the world? So like the point you just made uh, and Rory about Apple renting your phone as the most likely strategic outcome when you see other premium brands, Porsche and Apple, premium brands, they, they're going that direction. Mm-hmm. And, and it, if you extend that logic, I think almost anything that you would by right replace in any three to five year cycle, I think, is going towards a that, rental model. That whole line about millennials favouring access over ownership oh, yeah. has kind of gone a bit <laughs> hasn't it? crazy yeah. now, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, three, grand, three grand a month. I mean, that is a big outlay for <laughs> any home. And you can have a, like a different Porsche every, every day. day. That's the problem. Well, they only have 22 models, so you'd have to, you'd yeah, have exactly. to recycle. Exactly. But different colours? <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. I guess they've probably figured a bit like a gym membership after your first month. Uh, Is there like a fair use busy. policy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's, how do you become an unprofitable customer in that service? Like, do you have to have a different one every day in a different colour? I'd imagine. And also, Valet. And, and drive go. hard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So there you have it. I mean, if software as a service was recent mega trend one, we can probably say kind of uh, the rental model for hardware as a service. Yeah, is absolutely. A mega trend, very close number two. Can we see a time in the future when you don't make any more purchases, you just pay a absolutely. monthly fee for yeah. all the things you've decided you need in life. I mean, everything is changing so quickly. My ten-year-old asked me the other day, "When I'm old enough to drive, do you think I'll actually need to learn how to drive?" Uh, will I need to do a driving test or will cars just take care of it all? And that's, you know, through the, what's yeah. the expression, through the babes of, through the mouths of babes, babes comes yeah. the truth. You know, that was quite an astute observation because I had to think, and yeah, maybe in six years you won't actually need to learn how to drive. You just press a button. We should do an experiment on this as part of this show, as to our readers, where one of us, I'm thinking me, because yeah. I probably have the most extravagant <laughs> the Porsche package, <laughs> The Accelerate package by but Porsche. Let's see if I can go a whole month without spending any money that's not part of a subscription service. Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. Like, I would have to, I mean, everything, food. You'd have to you'd read have to, books. <laughs> well, no, I was more thinking about, you know, like get like living, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. like food. I'd have to go all my food delivered through a subscription service that was a pay once a month or you can eat. Oh, subscription service. Now that's a challenge. I think it would be surprisingly easy. I think you you would kind of surprise yourself with everything. Food would be the big one. In Ireland, it, it, yeah. in Ireland, what? Wine. Wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think in Ireland we don't have, I certainly if we're in the middle of New York or San Fran or something, I think you'd be home and dry. I think there's a few kind of bare essentials. transportation you can do. They've got yeah. subscription services for, for that now, for yeah. taxis and things. But what about seriously though, the food thing? That is a challenge. 
there must be some I, I can guarantee yeah. you there is some service out there that's subscription all you can eat um, <laughs> Milano's around the corner uh, have bottomless dough balls you could buy buy um, a bottomless dough ball uh, no because that's, that's a purchase <laughs> oh, this, this has to be a subscription exactly. yeah there is I, like you know those um, whatchamacallit uh, Blue Apron yes I can guarantee you there is one of those food delivery companies yeah. that is pay a monthly subscription yeah. and you get all your meals but they're all paleo or whatever it is the, it's okay yeah, right. I can do okay. paleo. Yeah, that's it. Go for it. <laughs> Tune into the next episode and see if Rory is still alive. <laughs> uh, so moving on then to the company we never talk about. Emmett, you're going to take it this week and you're talking about ROIC. I am. Uh, Retail Opportunity Investments Corporation, uh, ticker ROIC. And I think there isn't an accountant in the world who doesn't find that to be a very witty ticker because it also stands for Return on Invested Capital. And that's what we look for in investment. So ROIC, um, Retail Opportunity Investments Corporation. Uh, it's a real estate investment trust or a REIT as they are known uh, that specialises in the acquisition, ownership and management of groceries anchored shopping centres located in densely populated metropolitan markets across the West Coast. So that's quite a mouthful. But basically yeah. on the West Coast of America, they have a speciality in finding uh, I guess strip malls, you might call them and and, and, and um, uh, shopping centres where there is a high footfall and yeah. they find a, a tenant like Walmart to be the number one tenant and then everyone else comes around it. So um, I might just step back and just remind our listeners what a REIT actually is and a REIT uh, was something that Congress and the US established in the 60s uh, as an amendment to the cigar excise tax extension uh, for reasons I have no un understanding of and basically what Congress said was provision to allow individual investors to buy shares in commercial real estate portfolios that receive income from a variety of properties. So a REIT is basically a way for the normal woman and man on the street to buy into a property portfolio, and uh, in our in the My Wall Street app, one of the one of our favourite REITs is American Tower, which is run like a corporation but effectively is a, is a network of of cell towers around the US. So um, so ROIC, our retail opportunity, we'll call it, is in the same family of businesses as American Tower. Yeah. And there's there are some extra benefits for investing in a REIT. Um, there are, yeah, they, absolutely. They distribute. Yeah, and they have particular characteristics yeah. um, that separate them from a limited business or a corporation. Uh, they must invest at least 75% of their assets in real estate, cash or US treasuries. So yeah. they have to literally be sitting on cash or in property um, and they must receive at least 75% of their income from uh, real property rents. Okay. So they're the rules. But the advantage, James, is that they need uh, legally to return a minimum of 90% of the taxable income in the form of dividends. Okay. So it would be most unusual to see a REIT that doesn't pay a dividend. Yeah. Because that's effectively legally why they exist. They have a property portfolio and when it has a bottom line, they pay out a dividend. Okay. So, so that's what makes a REIT kind of um, worth consideration for every investor because you can expose yourself to a, a corner of the property world that interests you and with a high degree of certainty you can rely on a dividend. So then more specifically ROIC, why, why, are, they, why are you choosing them today to talk about? Well, we haven't talked about them for a long time and this <laughs> segment is called. <laughs> so, I mean, there's not a lot to talk about but they, the, uh, so 
just to kind of go deeper on ROIC, they, they own, as of the end of Q2, which was the last time they reported, uh, they had 89 shopping centers on the West Coast of America. So not a huge portfolio. You know, you, you were sub 100 properties. Uh, they had over 10 million square feet of uh, space yeah. and I don't know about you but that, I can't even picture what that is lots I guess so um, <laughs> lots of space and um, and they are also a member of the S&P small cap 600 index so they're, they're the real deal now the reason that Rory and I at the time got interested in uh, ROIC was down to the you know we were backing the jockey not the horse yeah so um, ROIC ROIC's management team is headed by a guy called Stuart Tans. And this name goes back a long, long way in my investing life because many moons ago he had um, a REIT called Pan Pacific Retail Properties, which he uh, founded around 97. And um, in the the 10 years from 1997, uh, Pan Pacific, which I had shares in, uh, raised its value from 400 million to 4 billion. Wow. So it was a 10x, you know, yeah. it was a 10 bagger, which we all love more actually. So, um, uh, and then eventually he flipped it and sold the whole business to Kimco Realty. Uh, Realty, how do you pronounce it? Realty. Realty, yeah, Realty. I've never, I've always struggled with that word because it's not actually an Irish word. But anyway, um, so, uh, and he did it at the right, he had very good timing. So, um, so Stuart Hans, this is backing the jockey, not the horse. Yeah. We look at businesses, if you like, as the horse and um, some are racehorses, some are workhorses, but this is backing the jockey. And, and um, what Tans did and what he's doing with ROIC is repeating the same formula because it's formulatic. Like the, the approach that he and his team take is they have specific metrics that's a yes or a no for, yeah. new, for new malls or, or shopping centres that they own and manage. And it needs to have X number of footfall, have, you know, have no competitors in the area and most of all have... Um, uh, an anchor tenant, the likes of which is Walmart, and and, and on their their investor relation page, they showed a country club village in San Ramon in California, and um, and you can see it's a, it's as you'd picture most shopping malls. So, yeah. one of the things I wish we had, and we don't because we're over in Dublin, is a view of their portfolio and a kind of a read of yeah. the community. If you live in West California, and you you can actually get a sense for how are these shopping centres doing. Yeah. You know, now, the numbers do tell the story. And in fact, they tell a pretty good story. So in Q2, revenue was pretty much flat year on year. So Q2 2019, the business did about 73 million in revenue. And in the same quarter, one year earlier, did 72.3 million. So it was kind of less than 1% up. Mm revenue and um, and it is a sleepy business it's not that it's going to set the world on fire but yeah. what we're what we're looking at is a very talented team as a way of exposing your portfolio to a, a whole bunch of shopping centres on the west coast in California and it is the only pure play west coast shopping centre REIT okay. now, as I said earlier there's REITs for almost anything you might believe in whether it's American Tower Towers and there's a REIT I was looking at recently and its name has slipped my mind but it exclusively focuses on facilities for growing weed Okay, and so there's yeah. REITs for virtually everything um, and so we're, we're looking at a Pure Play West Coast shopping centre REIT a very very experienced and focused management team at Stuart Tans who, who's been decades you know doing what he does as are, as have has his team and a, a great track history of performance since inception. Um, so really, the reason you would buy 
shares in ROIC is you're looking for a dividend yeah. growth stock. Yeah. So it looks like a business that will continue to grow uh, at a modest enough clip, mm. but will return uh, dividends. And its current dividend uh, as of the last payout was 4.3%. Okay. You know, so for every thousand bucks you have in in the in in the REIT, you're getting 43 bucks. Okay. Um, back in that particular use case. So you got so you're looking at a business that's going to grow in a nice hopefully steady way and churn out dividends as mandated by uh, the REIT structure. Okay. So that was ROIC, the company we Exciting never stuff, right? Exciting stuff wow. REITs. Yep. <laughs> Coming next week, paper and paper mills. Uh, so don't forget we've loads of new stuff in the My Wall Street app for September, including our stock of the month and our brand new stock edition. Um, some of our regular users might have also noticed we've launched a brand new feature in the app this week, uh, Insights. This is a regular update from one of us here at the analyst team on a piece of news or an industry that we're looking at at the moment. Uh, so far, we've written about Peloton's upcoming IPO, why Amazon didn't succeed in killing Etsy yet, and why big companies are suddenly putting such a focus on company culture. You can read all of these insights and more in the My Wall Street app right now. And don't forget as well that if you haven't downloaded the My Wall Street app before, we're offering an extended free trial to listeners of the Stock Club podcast. Um, you can avail of this 30-day trial by just clicking the link in the notes for today's show. Right, let's move on to jargon busters. So the first question we got in is for you, Emmett. Um, and one of our users asked, why is gold often considered a good hedge against a weak stock market? So when the stock market is going down, why do people move to gold? Gold is one of very many physical assets that you can decide to own. Um, it is pulled up out of the ground and it sits in a safer somewhere and it doesn't change with the passage of time. Well, actually, chemically it does, but let's not go there. Um, not go quite on. relevant. <laughs> okay. No, but uh, basically what when someone buys gold, takes the money out of another asset class, they're yeah. betting that gold will either go up more than that asset class or go down less. Yeah. So the hedge obviously is where, where an individual or a fund has decided that they have low confidence in the market going forward, sort of going into something that's very unvolatile, if you like. Uh, is there such a word as unvolatile, non-volatile? We'll but go with it. I think we'll go with unvolatile. So it's an unvolatile asset, but um, it really isn't something for the creation of wealth. And when you look at a, um, a graph of the price of an ounce of gold for 100 years, inflation adjusted, it's not, uh, it doesn't make for an impressive uh, yeah. or predictable graph. It's it's a sawtooth. Uh, effectively, 100 years ago, an ounce of gold was hovering around 600 bucks and today it's hovering around like 1,600 bucks. That's not a whole lot of appreciation in, in 100 years. Mm. And, uh, so when someone goes into gold, it's an expression that they believe the market on the whole is not going to go up. And that gold doesn't theoretically have sudden aggressive move in prices but mm. um, again the devil is in the detail and as we've mentioned on this podcast before one of our favourite uh, op-ed pieces which was a, a, a subset of a Berkshire Hathaway um, letter by Warren Buffett uh, an op-ed piece in Fortune uh, written by Warren was Why Stocks Beat Golden Bonds I think it was called Rory and it's it's 
as Warren is most eloquent and always expresses things so well, and I would say for the listener who asked that question, just to Google high yeah. stocks beat gold and bonds and and uh, the story unfurls. But basically, a gold has no economic output. Uh, sorry, a block of gold has no economic output. Yeah. If you have one kilo block of gold and put it in a safe and open that safe in a thousand years, it's still the same thing. If you buy shares in a company at the same value after X number of years, it will have created value uh, and that will be disbursed through the likes of dividends or capital appreciation. So okay. you're, you're actually just uh, buying or uh, hedging in gold is an expression that uh, of your lack of belief in at least the short to medium term uh, in this of the stock market. Okay, cool. Uh, the next question, Rory, is for you. And with all our talks about IPOs, someone asked, what, how are IPOs priced? So, you know, when a company is about to go public, there's usually a guiding price. How does that come about? <laughs> At the moment, it seems like witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling it out of the air. Funny you should say. Um, well, I'll tell you the traditional way they were priced anyway. Well, it's called uh, what's called book building, uh, which is that um, a company will hire a bank, J- uh, JP Morgan or, or Goldman Sachs, uh, and they will build a book, which means that they'll uh, just they'll go around. They'll create a prospectus, an S one that we've been talking about recently, that, um, and uh, they'll send it out to big institutional investors. Kind of, you know, it's a it's a pitch, um, and what they'll get back is a bunch of uh, bids from big money managers, big fund managers, big banks, big uh, institutional investors, saying this is how many shares we'd buy at this price, and, yeah. and they kind of end up taking all those uh, bids in and building building a book of people who are going to buy the shares and, and getting an aggregate price really that, that they they feel like the market is going to is going to go for. Okay. So that's that's the that's how that's it how, used to be done. That's how it used to be done. I'm not entirely sure what they're <laughs> what they're doing these days, but <laughs> And actually I had um, a dinner about a year ago and JT the co-founder of my Wall Street as well with the the CEO of AIB who which is one of Ireland's biggest banks perhaps perhaps it's biggest I'm not sure and they floated and Bernard Byrne uh, had to go and build the book for AIB pre-flotation and it was even because I guess it was a hard slog you know it's a yeah. really serious road show it's exactly as you described Rory um, coupled with lots and lots and lots of face-to-face meetings and he I think he said he, there was like as many as 10 separate meetings per day oh, wow. where you go in you pitch and and it's as low tech as someone in the room uh, keeps a spreadsheet of uh, all these 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 folks will put in X millions if when we float and yeah. and, and it's ex- it's just as you described but to hear the like the how um, what a, a slog the roadshow yeah. can be it's it's the unglamorous side of IPO mm. I'm not saying I'm sure in America it's well I'd imagine giant businesses uh, don't necessarily need to do that but if you're trying to create that excitement and yeah. drum up the support you got to do it okay cool uh, so let's move on then to our elevator pitch so last or in the last episode we talked about restaurant stocks and how we analyze them so for this week's elevator pitch I want to ask you guys to pick your favorite restaurant stock and tell me why is your favorite restaurant stock at the moment um, Emmett do you want to go first sure yeah I've Texas Roadhouse has been a favorite of mine for the longest time um, it recently reported that comps which we discussed in the last episode and comparable same store growth rose about 5% on the quarter uh, and up 5% on the year um, despite restaurants in general having you know pressure on their margins uh, but one of the things I like about investment in Texas Roadhouse is it pays a dividend yeah uh, back to that dividend thing um, which is a yield of about 2.2% which is very respectable for a restaurant um, so I guess their sales are going up their comps are going up and the stock is 
us down. Uh, so between that and the management team, which I won't dive into right now, looking at the clock, uh, Texas Roadhouse is a favourite of mine. Okay, cool. It's not a not a restaurant we have over here. Have you ever eaten it? Um, I think I did. I think I was in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Memorable experience, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Was it after the bar? Forget it. I'm almost sure I did. I went out to, this, to meet the CEO of 3D Systems, ticker DDD, um, many moons ago. Um, and I think it was in North Carolina or South Carolina. I'm really sorry to our, our North or South Carolina listeners. And um, what I do recall is I was staying in a hotel in the middle of nowhere and I walked across what looked like a lunar surface forever. No roads, no nothing. And then this restaurant appeared out of the blue. And I'm pretty sure it was a Texas Roadhouse. And it was great. It was great. It was unbelievable. They had prawns the size of chihuahuas. It was just <laughs> unbelievable, this place. I really enjoyed it. Right, Rory, beat that. Oh, uh, God. Uh, I'm going to go for a stock that's not in our showroom. Ooh. And that, uh, if you'd asked me five years ago, I definitely wouldn't have picked. But the stock I'm going for is uh, McDonald's, uh, ticker symbol MCD. And the reason I like it at the moment is because I think the CEO, Steve Easterbrook, has been executing on a turnaround strategy for about five years now uh, with a focus on improving experience, which covers a huge swathe of things, uh, mobile ordering and delivery. And the early signs of it are pretty strong, in my view. I think he's executing that very well. What's more, I think he's been very good at leaning into what McDonald's is good at. Um, unlike a lot of what QSORs do, you know, there was a story at this week about KFC releasing a piece of fried chicken between two glazed donuts um, oh, in the industry. This is called menu innovation, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think they've been focusing on what customers are asking for, which is higher quality ingredients, more transparency into the nutrition of the ingredients and simple things like all day breakfast, which, you know, wasn't simple from a supply chain kind of side, but was just an idea that, you know, it was so it seems so simple. Yeah. Um, on the face of things and it's, I think it's all working out very well. So. And they have table service now. I went to my two kids recently and I ordered at, at this giant iPad and then you just basically take a number and sit at seat and they bring it over to you which nice, nice change. Yeah, getting the basics right. They, yeah, the the exactly. fresh beef has been a big winner for them too bringing that into the menu. Yeah, and when you think about a company the size of McDonald's doing something like that it's it's a huge undertaking. Yeah, logistically. You know, like, logistically yeah. insane and I just think that, you know, McDonald's is not Every, every year McDonald's gets voted the worst burger in America Yeah, uh, but people go back again and again because it's it's simple it's convenient you know what you're getting and, and now it's a little bit healthier and a little bit more transparent about where all that food's coming from So the old question McDonald's or Burger King you're stuck and there's your choice which would you walk into? McDonald's, McDonald's every time yeah. McDonald's every time for me I as well. really yeah. dislike Burger King yeah, I'm the same I'm the same not a fan it's kind of all. like the the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Oasis or Blurred <laughs> oh, yeah, you have one and you stick with it yeah exactly Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's about it from this week's stock oh club. James I must say I don't condone eating chihuahuas it's been on my <laughs> mind since I said <laughs> since I said the prawns are as big as chihuahuas I just want our listeners to know okay, okay this is the loosest episode we've ever done <laughs> so there's your disclaimer <laughs> uh, so that's about it from this week's Stock Club don't forget about all the great new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the moment and if there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode please make sure to get in touch on Twitter that's at MyWallStreetHQ or email us at pod at MyWallStreet that's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com Please don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club too. And if you're enjoying it, please leave a review for us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on. That's it from us all here today. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.